Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Amanda McCollum lives in Memphis, Tennessee with her husband, Timothy, and two sons, Dax and Miles. She also has a daughter named Charlotte who passed away in 2010 at 16 days old. Amanda works full-time as a human resources advisor and the director of culture and engagement at Adams Keegan Incorporated. While away from work, Amanda enjoys spending time with family, serving at Believing Church, attending local festivals, and participating in 5Ks. We are honored to have Amanda with us here today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Um, Amanda, we're going to just talk today about your journey and your story. And um, I personally have had the privilege of knowing you through the years and um, getting to watch your journey and your story. And um, it's just truly an honor that you're here. So tell us a little bit about when your story, tell us about your story starting kind of in having a critically, chronically ill child. Okay. So, um, during my first pregnancy in 2010, I went in for my, um, 19 week ultrasound to find out the gender of my baby. And I remember driving to that appointment and thinking about how much I wanted a girl and how I was just sure I was going to be having a boy. And I was thinking to myself, my whole life is going to change today because I'm going to be, know that I'm either the mother of a boy or a girl. And we went in for the appointment and found out that we were having a girl and I was so excited. And then about probably less than a minute later, I remember the um, ultrasound technician saying, I need to go get someone. I see something concerning. I mean, my husband were looking at each other and I was getting scared and they came back in and said, something is very wrong with your baby's heart and we're going to send you over to a specialist. So that's the day really our journey started. I remember calling my mom from the parking garage at Baptist East in Memphis and just saying, something is really wrong, mom. And, um, it's not, it doesn't look good at all. Um, So we found out that Charlotte had hypoplastic left heart syndrome, um, which was a very serious heart defect, but we still had a lot of hope. And we named her at that time while I was still pregnant, Charlotte Hope, because we had belief that um, God had a plan for her life and that she was going to do well, even though she had this heart defect. And we proceeded through my pregnancy with that hope. You know, we set our nursery up. We had all the showers. You know, there was fear and anxiety all mixed in with that, too. But we we tried to just be optimistic that things were going to be okay for her. And, um, you know, all the doctors really encouraged us that there were medical interventions for her. We knew that right after she was born, um, she would have to go and have surgery. But um, they told us that there was a 90% success rate in that first surgery. And we just really had faith that she would do well. So Charlotte was born on November 8th of 2010. And she was beautiful. Um, She had dark hair. And um, she came early that day. Like everything was supposed to be arranged where she would be transported to La right after she was born. And she wanted to do things her own way and came early. 
but it was sweet because most people in my family got to see her and be with her for a few minutes before she was transported away from me at Le Bonheur. And um, when she was two days old, she had her first open heart surgery and she did really well. Like they said that she would. Um, and she continued to struggle off and on after her surgery, which everybody told us to expect that. They kept saying, you know, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. She'll she'll have up and down days. She'll, you know, have days where she does better. And she did. Um, and we kind of got in a, a groove of hospital life for about two weeks, you know, um, coming, spending all day long at the hospital, being with her, trying to go home and sleep when we could, um, you know, eating hospital meals. It was just our life. Um, and the day before Thanksgiving, um, she ended up passing away unexpectedly. And, um, it really was unexpectedly. I remember the doctor that morning when he came in and did rounds told me, obviously Charlotte's not going to be home for Thanksgiving, which was the next day, but she'll be home by Christmas. She's mm. doing well. And, um, so it was really a shock when she passed away that day. But, you know, looking back, I can see some sweet things that happened in that, my husband had been at work that day and I called and told him to come up to the hospital. Um, I just had a feeling that he needed to be there and she passed away when we were both there in the room with her and we got to spend those final moments with her, um, which ended up bringing me a lot of comfort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so just backtracking a little bit. So through, I also, um, hypoplastic left heart syndrome in layman's terms, kind of, would you say the, the best way to kind of describe that is how half of her heart was just incredibly underdeveloped. So yes, half of her heart was good and half of it was just completely underdeveloped. So there are surgeries and interventions where doctors can go in and kind of reroute things to make it where these children can continue to grow and thrive. And, you know, sometimes they get heart transplants and sometimes they do well with just the surgeries. But, you know, and of course, since I had Charlotte, I've met other kids with hypoplastic left heart syndrome that have done really well, but it is a very serious heart defect. And so the plan is always to deliver, get pretty quickly to a children's hospital, do that first surgery that's needed right mm -hmm. away. And then typically there's another surgery planned how far after that? Uh, a few months later. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. But often if the, the child, babe, I guess baby is doing well, they get to go home. That's correct. Stay home and then go back for that second surgery. Mm -hmm. And then That's is there right. even a third surgery later? Yes. I know in 2010, that was the normal medical protocol was three surgeries. I don't know what's changed in the past 11 years, but that was the plan then. Okay. Okay. So you and your husband are there. You and Timothy are there. Mm -hmm. Um in the CVICU, this is the old hospital, yes. which those of us that were old hospital, it's just very, very different than the new hospital. Mm -hmm. So you're in the old hospital, you know, getting to be with her. She mm -hmm. passes. Of course, you have to experience the leaving the hospital, you mm -hmm. know, with, with her things, without her going home. Mm -hmm. You have the holidays ahead of you. How unbelievably hard all mm -hmm. of that had to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I just first want to say how sorry I am for your loss of Charlotte. And, um, I had the privilege of getting to meet her and, um, I can also say she was beautiful mm -hmm. and, um, 
you and Timothy um, and your family. I had the privilege of meeting so many of your family members uh, were just amazing. And, um, and I know that Charlotte is so proud of y'all for everything that you've done and accomplished. Um, your story, of course, so you're in the grief process, having to learn, you know, I always say kind of a new normal. What is mm-hmm. your new normal? Your life will never look the same again. You know, life can never look the same after you've lost a child. So you're in this new normal. Y'all decide to try for children again. Mm-hmm. And y'all have... We have Dax. Dax. And yeah, in 2012. So, um, and Dax was just such an answer to prayer. Um, and it was interesting being pregnant with him because he, he got fully checked out because of everything that happened with Charlotte. And he was just a perfectly healthy little boy. And, um, he was just, he brought a lot of healing to our life. Um, of course he doesn't replace Charlotte, but I told somebody one time that I felt like, when I had Charlotte, my heart grew. And when she passed away, it didn't shrink back. Like that space that, that she had taken up was still there. And I think Dax helped fill, fill some of that void and bring some healing to us. So, um, that was amazing. And, and he was a a great child and just being able to experience bringing a child home and, you know, bringing them to the nursery and was just, um, amazing and, um, scary and hard in all different ways. Like, like it is with any typical child. Right. Um, Right. So that went great. And in my heart, I still really wanted a girl because that had always been a dream of mine. So we knew we wanted to try for another child. And, um, so I got pregnant again and, um, I still was hoping for that girl and went in and found out I was having a little boy and everything seemed fine. But because of, um, Charlotte's complex heart situation, like I said, Dax got checked out and so did Miles. Um, and in the, um, high risk appointment with Miles, they saw some unusual characteristics, some unusual measurement of his femur. I think one of his kidneys looked a little bit off. And then there was also um, a heart defect. They could tell he had a hole in his heart, which panicked me Mm -hmm. because of Charlotte's heart defect. But they said, this looks more genetic. This looks more chromosomal. We think there's something going on. Um, And it's funny, I had already had my Down syndrome screening during my pregnancy with him and it came back that everything was fine. So I thought, well, I know it's not Down syndrome. What could it be? Well, surprise it was down syndrome um so i didn't realize that so you actually had the screening Mm -hmm. that it said he did not have that yes wow so it's really unusual to be a false negative i think it's more common to be a false positive yeah but i don't know i was i was like a unicorn you are a unicorn (laughs) oh my goodness okay so do you find out in that appointment in that high-risk appointment no actually um they did some testing and i got a call sitting at my desk at work. And when I answered the phone, it was the doctor, the high risk doctor himself, not one of his staff members, not one of his nurses. And my heart sank. And I thought, this is not going to be good. So I ran to a kind of a private place at my work and I was taking notes and it's, it was like, I couldn't even process everything he was saying, but I wrote down things like mental retardation, unusual facial characteristics, you know, um, physical challenges. And then finally he said, trisomy 21. And even then I wasn't really processing. And finally he said down syndrome and I just was devastated. 
um, this was not the healthy baby. This was not the healthy baby girl. This was not what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was scared and my heart was broken. And, um, I like to say this part of the story because I think it really shows what an amazing person my husband is. Um, I just, I got back to my desk and I told my boss, I got terrible news about my baby. I need to leave work right now. I can't be here. And I called my husband and I said, you need to come home right now. Something terrible has happened and I need to talk to you about it. And so we met up at our house and I was crying and I said, Timothy, this baby has Down syndrome. And he said, oh, is that all? Like, mm -hmm. we can do this. Like, mm -hmm. it's okay. He said, I thought it was going to be something worse. And his response settled my heart. I mean, I was still sad. I was still afraid, but I thought this is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that losing Charlotte was the most painful thing I could have imagined. And so now I'm able to say, well, yeah, having a kid with special needs is really hard, but it's not the hardest thing. Like mm -hmm. we can do this. Mm -hmm. We can work with this. Mm -hmm. But my husband was amazing and has been that source of strength ever since that day. And so what, what, about what week do you think you are at this point that y'all found this news out? I think probably a little after 20 weeks. Okay. Okay. So at that point, are you, I know the devastation of knowing just kind of, this isn't what we thought. Mm -hmm. And so then having to process that and, you know, accept that too, and be able to know what's, what's next. At what point did you have concerns about his medical needs? Was that during the pregnancy or not until delivery or later? Where did that come in? You know, really, um, I don't know if I was naive, but I, I just kind of, I didn't hone in as much on the medical concerns. I knew that was a possibility mm -hmm. with Down syndrome, but again, I kind of thought, man, we've already been down that road. We've mm -hmm. had a child with really complex medical issues. Surely that's not going to happen again. And I just tried to proceed with faith and hope that everything would be okay. Um, and, you know, obviously we were monitoring him closely for his heart defect that we knew about. But even that, they told us this is very fixable. You know, this is not what Charlotte had. And it's funny, we have we have the same cardiologist. So we knew him and trusted him. And um, he said, this is a fixable thing. So that brought me comfort and hope mm -hmm. to know this is, you know, I, I thought the road we were going to take with Miles was not going to be as difficult as with Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Um but like, like his sister, Miles wanted to do his own thing. And, um, he actually came five weeks early, um, completely unexpected. I went in for, um, an appointment with the cardiologist and the high risk doctor and they were doing the scan and, you know, they weren't saying anything to me. They were just talking back and forth and I didn't know anything was wrong. And they finished the scan and they said, okay, the good news is, his heart looks better than it did before. Like a valve issue we thought was there is not there. The bad news is his lungs are filling with fluid and you need to leave here and drive to the hospital and have him right now. Wow. And I was like, what? Yeah, like yeah. I'm supposed to be going back to work. Like yeah. it's five weeks We're early ready. and right. It's not time. So um, I said, I remember asking them, which now I'm like, was I crazy? I said, can I go home and pack a bag? Yeah. And they said, well, how close do you live? And that, that was the kind of situation it was. And 
What's so crazy is by the time I got to the hospital and they checked me in, my water broke. Wow. So he, he was I think ready. He was ready and yeah. he was in distress, but yeah. we wouldn't have known what was wrong if I hadn't had that appointment that right. morning. So right. I'm like, I feel like God has his hand on miles and made everything align the way that it did so right. that people would know what was going on right when he was born. Cause right. Like Charlotte, right when he was born, he needed to be taken from me and have medical issues addressed. Right. Um, and that is because they had seen that. Originally, if they had not seen the lungs filling up, then mm -hmm. more than likely they would have just delivered and monitored him properly. Correct. I don't think they would have known that he instantly needed his lungs to be drained, yeah. which he did. Wow. And so where was that done? At Baptist? No. Or taken straight to Lebanon? That or? actually... Um, I had to go from my appointment at Baptist to Methodist Germantown to deliver. Okay. And then they um, treated him there and he was in the NICU there for five weeks. Okay. Stayed all five weeks there. Mm -hmm. And then did you at that point go home? We did. So we knew at that point he did still have a hole in his heart that would need to be addressed. And he had some special issues. Like we got to go home, but he had to have a real modified diet um, because of the situation with his lungs. It was all connected but we were able to take him home. Okay. And how long were you home? We were home. Sorry, I had to count in my head about two months, I think, before his um, first surgery, which was his heart surgery. Okay. So that was scheduled and planned. Mm -hmm. That was scheduled and planned in October. And um, he did really well, like they said he would do with his heart surgery, but because of issues with his lungs, there were some complications and we were in the hospital longer than expected, I think, but still under a month, I think about three weeks. And at this point, the new hospital has been built. Yes. So you're still CVICU, you're still dealing with so many of the same nurses, oh, yeah. same staff. And I can only imagine that is comfort, but also so much fear and mm -hmm. even some serious PTSD of mm -hmm. just living this. But then also comfort that these are people who knew you, knew Charlotte, knew your story. Right. And for those of us that never had a chance to bring our babies home, you know, often when I talk about, you know, the staff at the hospital they were more than just nurses and doctors. Oh, yes. They were some of the only people who knew my son. Right. And they were some of the only people who ever had a chance to meet him and get to know him because we didn't get that opportunity to bring a child home and introduce him to the world and let people come and see and hold him. And so I imagine that brought you some comfort while at the same time difficulty as well, knowing that you had lost Charlotte. Mm -hmm. um, but in between, a brand new hospital had opened, brand new right. building, brand new CVICU. So he stays a little under a month mm -hmm. from the heart surgery, go home again. Mm -hmm. And then where are we? And then um, became a long period, about a two-year period of being in and out of the hospital all the time is what it felt like. And one time I actually pulled up a calendar and tried to map it out because it's so much, I don't even have a, a great timeline, but um, over the first two year period of Miles's life, we were in the hospital a total of nine months. Wow. Um, of course that was not all consecutive. It was like we would be in the hospital. The longest um, stint was a three month stay. And that one was really, really scary. But um but it seems like we would get home, get in a routine, 
And Miles was just at a place medically where if he got any kind of cold and keep in mind, he has a two-year-old brother at home, right. two parents that work outside of the home. So we're bringing in the germs, but if he got a cold, his body could not handle it. And he would end up in the hospital on a ventilator every time. And it was a very, very scary time for us. And one thing that I learned through that time too, is that often, and I don't, you know, I don't know if it's all Down syndrome children or not, but they have a higher pain tolerance. Mm -hmm. And so, um, medicines to calm them down, you know, um, just how would I say, you know, whether it's to decrease the pain or to let them sleep comfortably or rest, often they need more. They, mm -hmm. they seem to process it a little bit. And so I know even with Miles that there was often things that needed to be more or less and just finding that balance for right. him right. was often difficult. It's maybe not the same as a child who has the same heart condition right? because of his, um, you know, having Down syndrome. So, I know with y'all, you, you had to face things that even maybe were a little more unknown. Mm -hmm. um, I had the the pleasure of getting to mentor and meet with y'all often during that time. And that little boy brought me so much joy. I mean, I loved coming in and seeing mm -hmm. Miles because he just is a, um, a precious little guy who everybody loved. I mean, mm -hmm. everybody loved because at that time he spent... I feel like he spent in a lot of different units, right? Because mm -hmm. he definitely had time in the PICU. Yeah, he was in um, the PICU a whole lot, and then he was in the intermediate ICU a whole lot. And right. it got to a point where, with with the typical children, if you're in the ICU, you might be in the ICU, then move to the intermediate ICU, then move up to the floor, then go home. Well, it got to the point where Miles was such a frequent flyer that they were like, we're not even sending him to the floor. They would send him to the ICU, then the intermediate ICU and release us to go home from there. Right. Um, but yeah, so we, like you said earlier, we got to know all of these nurses, all of these doctors. And that was incredibly comforting for them already to know Miles, too. And because we were there so much, we learned over time how to be an advocate for him and, and know, you know, well, this medicine doesn't work for Miles and this does and this works and he likes this and he doesn't like this, which was a skill set we never knew we had or would need. Right. But, right. Know, we developed. Yeah. And y'all were amazing at that. Y'all really were at, you know, knowing what brought him comfort and, um, you know, what he did or didn't like or how to even do things or, and we talk about that a lot that, you know, as parents, as caregivers, that's what we are called to be able to do and not to be afraid to say it in a respectful, kind way to the mm -hmm. staff, but Hey, you know, maybe not wake him up at 4am. He really is not a morning person at all. Is there any way we could, but he is a night owl. Is there, is there a way we could do that scan or that test or take his blood at this time versus this one? Or, you know, when you do this test, you know, he really likes to have light and something distracting him with light or sound. And so, you know, as parents, we definitely encourage, and obviously mm -hmm. that comes more naturally, the longer you're in right. the hospital, you know, when you become more comfortable with the people and the place, right. but I feel like y'all did a really great job, um, you know, on that. Um, how's Miles doing today? <laughs> Miles is doing awesome today. I mean, looking at him, other than seeing the you know, landscape of scars he has, which he has a lot, you would never know that 
he's been through everything that he's been through. I mean, he is resilient. He is so full of joy. He is completely rotten. Um, he is my wild child. And I mean, he's full of energy. He runs all over. Uh, he keeps me on my toes. So it's amazing to see um, how he went from being this frail little child that couldn't handle a common cold to just being, you know, a as close to a typical seven-year-old as you can be with Down syndrome. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, well, let's pivot a little bit and let's talk a little bit about, you know, you speaking to other families that maybe are in similar circumstances. Um, what were some things that you felt like were helpful to your family, whether that be, um, you know, things that other family members did or friends did or, hospital stays or, but what are some things that you felt like, you know, um, were helpful to you during two very different hospital stays? Mm -hmm. One that ended up being pretty quick, uh, but very traumatic and, you know, obviously leaving without a child, um, and that child passing at the hospital. And then the other where it was pretty drawn out over numerous years, lots of stays, lots of being, um, you know, admitted to the hospital and also having another child at home. Mm -hmm. And so I think that changes things as well, where Charlotte was your first and your only. And so you really could give everything mm -hmm. to Charlotte. But then when Miles was in, you had Dax, who right. was two, three. How yeah. was Dax? Yeah, he was two when Miles was born. So really from the time he was two to four is when all of this critical illness was happening with Miles. Right. So can you speak a little to, let's just start a little bit with maybe some resource, resources that were helpful for your family during that time. So um, with Charlotte, everything was so new to us. We didn't know what we needed. We were thrown into this hospital life and, or, you know, we're just going in clueless. So, I mean, some of the practical resources that y'all provided that we didn't even know we needed came in helpful things as small as money for the vending machine, because you don't think about how sitting in the hospital all day long, you get hungry and thirsty. And we didn't even always want to leave to have a real meal because we wanted to be with her. So practical needs like that um, and things to take care of ourselves, because all we wanted to do is take care of Charlotte. But also I had just had a C-section and, you know, was... Mm -hmm still recovering myself and in normal situations, I wouldn't be driving downtown and walking up and downstairs and doing all that. So um, just simple resources for our self care. And then with Charlotte, with her being an infant and just having surgery, I couldn't dress her and all the little dresses I had bought for a little girl. I couldn't, I was real limited at what I could do for her. So, um, you know, the, the forcemen's fund provided the um, little lovey for her, which she had. And I remember every day thinking, what can I do for her? Um, and I would put socks on her and pick out socks, you know, that look like little Mary Jane shoes or put a bow in her hair or play her a song that I think people probably thought I was nuts because I played her John Mayer sometimes because mm -hmm. he was my favorite. I love it. But, you know, what that was her nursery. That was her home. So. Um, you know, things that I could do to make it feel like I was caring for my daughter where she was um, were helpful. Um, but I would say um, Charlotte's stay was so short and traumatic. One of the things that we really needed 
um, was grief counseling after she passed away. And um, people are so helpful. You know, they, they would give me and my husband statistics about how people who lose a child mm. separate and get divorced. And Can we just pause here? Yeah. Don't ever... If you are listening, because I got it too, don't ever say that to a person. Right. We are aware. Um, we may not know the exact statistics, but we are aware about those. And please don't ever yeah, tell don't. somebody, even if you're trying to say it as an encouragement of, hey, you know, fight for your marriage because this is against yeah. you. Just don't. Yeah, don't say that. We're That's gonna, not helpful. We're one day going to do a blog post on all the things not to say <laughs> and all the things not to do because, unfortunately, through the years we've heard it. Right. Um, but that is one of those right there. Right. So I just want to say yes. that. Okay. So kind of yes. knowing. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and of course, it's fair to know, but me and Timothy knew this is the most challenging thing we've ever experienced. This is, in our minds, the very worst thing that could have happened to us. But going to grief counseling was so helpful to us because we did grieve differently. We expressed grief differently. Um, and then we thought through things differently. And just having an outside resource to say, this is normal. And, you know, Amanda, how do you feel about this? And Timothy, how do you feel about this? And, you know, we were both on the same page with the devastation of losing our daughter, but being able to find a way where we could talk about it with each other was so helpful and really helped us grow stronger mm -hmm. as we got through that time. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward, you have Miles, you still have Dax at home, healthy, two-year-old, mm -hmm. three-year-old, four-year-old. What are some things that you found were helpful during that time with Miles? I think um, during that time, because it was so extended, um, I learned to get better um, accepting help from people because mm -hmm. it's hard. You know, we want to be resilient. We want to tell people no, but um, meals, meals helped a lot because we were feeding Dax at home and trying to be at the hospital for Miles. And it was really important for us like I just talked about, about being an advocate and being there for miles for one of us to always be with him. But we also wanted Dax to feel like he had a normal home life. So one of us was always home with Dax and we would switch off, which made things hard for us. But it, it also brought peace to us um, that we were trying to meet the needs of both of our boys, but we relied on the help of a lot of people. Um, like I said, meals and meals in the hospital. Um, I think um, during that, span where Miles was in the hospital all the time. I think I told you one time, Brittany, that we had had the free meal, the free dinner at the hospital every month for like yeah. six or seven months consecutively. And I thought, I cannot believe. I think we even joked that he would like, I think there were times that he even was admitted like the day before our dinner, mm -hmm. you know, it was yes. like he knew Yes, this dinner's coming up. Cause I think there were a couple of times I feel like I didn't even know y'all were there because I hadn't been there for my mentoring that week and y'all would come down and I'd literally look at you and go, what are you doing right. here? Right. And I'd be like, well, Miles decided to come again. So I do remember, you know, that time period of right. y'all being there a lot. Um, right. So having warm meals, you know, yes. ready for you down there. Yes. Meals back at home to make mm -hmm. sure Dax was taken care of. And how unbelievably hard though, even then on your marriage that y'all are just kind of passing in the night, yeah. you know, high five on each other as right. you, one comes to miles and one goes to Dax. And, right. um, I knew, know that had to have been really hard too. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you wish 
that maybe others who are listening right now, uh, we always talk about sometime in your lifetime, if you are listening and you have not experienced your own child, um, and we pray and hope that you haven't, but you haven't experienced your own child being sick or in the hospital, you know someone who has, Mm -hmm. whether it's a niece, a nephew, a grandchild, you know, or a friend or a neighbor, what are things that maybe you would say to them of how could they be a blessing and an encouragement mm-hmm. to a family struggling with a child that's sick? What are mm-hmm. some things that they could practically do? And then even, you know, maybe some other ways that they could also be an encouragement. Mm-hmm. So I think, especially when I was in the midst of hospital life, it's like, I couldn't even put two thoughts together. So when my well-meaning friends would say, let me know if you need anything, I think I probably needed a lot of things, but couldn't even articulate it. Um, It helped me more when my friends would say, you know, do you have dinner tonight? I'm bringing you dinner tonight. We had um, our pastor at the time would say, I'm going to come over and mow your yard for you. So Timothy doesn't have to worry about that Mm -hmm. when he's home. So I would encourage you to think through practical things in people's lives. Those things don't just stop when the people are at the hospital, you know, they still have laundry to do. Maybe even offering to do a load of their laundry would be really helpful. Um, Another thing, which this is complicated with COVID, I think, and visitation regulations, but I would get really lonely Mm -hmm. um, being at the hospital by myself late at night and, you know, missing my husband. And sometimes I would just have a friend come and sit with me for a couple of hours. Um, And that was really helpful. So even offering, can I FaceTime with you for an hour or, you know, but, That's the thing, too. Being in the hospital is chaotic. It's crazy. There's always people in and out of the room. So being sensitive to that person and saying, would it help you if I came now? And then being willing to leave if you need to, if something happens. But um, those those kind of things really helped. And as far as encouraging, um, you know, a lot of times I think um, we want to relate to one another and share experiences. But it was more helpful if someone was just there loving me in the moment. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't, people would try to say, Oh, I understand um, what you're going through because this, this and this. And, and that helped some, but just having someone with me, listening to me, a shoulder to cry on was really helpful. Mm -hmm. And it did help me so much, Brittany, to see you and David and, I remember with Charlotte meeting y'all and thinking the worst thing happened to them, but they're still here and they're still doing okay. And that was before Charlotte ever passed away, but that was really encouraging to me. And just knowing that they're knowing that you're not alone. Um, Cause that's the thing too. If you're on social media or you're talking to your friends, most people have perfect, healthy children, mm-hmm. 10 fingers, 10 toes, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. that's the, the catchphrase. It's a healthy boy. I want a healthy girl. And, Um, sometimes it feels like you're the only one when that thing is happening Mm -hmm. and that's not true. Um, so finding people that can understand and relate to your journey and just, um, love you where you are at that moment is really helpful. Right. Um, I remember recently seeing a, um, I believe it was on today parents, but a text message that somebody had sent to someone, I don't, I don't know now whether it was a sick child or a sick parent, I'm not sure, but they listed three things and they said, pick one of these three things that I'm going to do for you today. And it was bring you a meal, um, you know, drop off a me- just drop off a meal, A, B, bring you a meal and eat with you, uh, C, 
you know, order a meal to be, I'm not sure, but all that Mm -hmm. to say, it was not, what can I do for you? It was, I'm going to do right now, which one? Right. And, you know, I've thought about that a lot through the years of, I had a friend once say, you know, when you, when you see the fire, you jump into the fire. Mm -hmm. Pre-forest, I would have never jumped into the fire because I so much was, you know, worried about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing, or I don't have any idea what they're feeling or knowing, you know, post forest and, you know, walking that journey with him and seeing how much I needed people, how much I needed people to help me Mm -hmm. do life. You know, my dog was so important to me. And so walking my dog twice a day, every day was huge. Mm -hmm. Um, And so realizing, seeing those and remembering those who jumped in the fire and thinking now, just jump in the fire, jump right. in it, jump in that cage and don't feel like you're going to mess up. Mm-hmm. Just jump in the cage with them and say, I'm here. Right. I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know what you're going through, but you're not alone. Right. And right. I think that brings comfort. I think mm-hmm. doing things too, like you say, right. I mean, laundry, good gracious, right. you know, all my children are healthy right now, but if you offered to come do my laundry, I'd probably let you. Right. And so, you know, laundry, mowing right. the lawn, walking the dog, right. stocking a fridge right, full of groceries, um, bringing a coffee to the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, now, like we said, you know, there are so many things with COVID that you can't, but you can definitely drop a coffee to a person. Right. You know, maybe they'll come and sit on the bench with you for 15 minutes just to get a break. Right. Um, and so I think... We are both saying, just jump in. Yes. Do something. Yes. yes. Don't feel like you have to have the perfect words. Right. It's almost better not to say the perfect right. words. Right, because there aren't, that's the thing, there aren't perfect words, and there's right. nothing that a friend or a family member can do to make your child suddenly be better, but yeah. they can help just bring comfort to you and, you know, meet immediate needs in your life, but like you just said, making you feel not alone in this very scary time is yeah. it's so meaningful. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think another thing we often, you know, in today's age, we like to, um, I don't want to say compare, but we like to also have a story. Mm-hmm. And so we often want to say, well, my cousin's second cousin's brother right. also was in the hospital. Right. Don't. Right. Just instead, you know, listen, because, even though you've lost a child and I've lost a child, they're very different stories. And I will never try to say that I understand what you're going through or what you're feeling because our stories are different and it's your story for a reason. And it's my story. Um, you know, but just to love people during that time. Right. Is there anything when you look back, is there anything that you wish you had known? Do you, you know, wish you had known, you know, part of me thinks, Gosh, would you have really wanted to know how long the journey would have been with Miles? Because, right, would you have just curled up in a ball and said, I can't do it again? Right. Um, But is there anything even, you know, for someone that's listening and gets um, and and has had bad news, especially, I've talked about this a lot. I didn't know anything was wrong with Forrest in the womb. And so I was naive and oblivious. And Mm -hmm. because I had gotten a good 20 week ultrasound, I really Mm -hmm. thought, um, you know, we're in the clear. I know more now, but back then I really did. And so I know those that have gotten bad news in the womb, that's a whole different feeling. That's mm-hmm. a whole fear that I don't know. That's a whole 
whole other world of the what ifs and mm-hmm. the how and what's going to happen here and are we going to make it to term and are we going to, um, is there anything that you would say to those parents who have gotten news in the womb that there is going to need to be something medical intervention, mm-hmm. there's going to be, they're going to have to be watched. They're going to have to be monitored. Is there anything that you could say to them that you wish you might've known? Mm, I think I would say, give yourself lots of grace because, um, what you're dealing with is, is not the norm that we hear or see every day. So take it one day at a time. And one thing that I learned, and I feel like I learned this with Miles and not with Charlotte is, do what works for you as far as what gives you the most comfort and gives you the ability to make it one day at a time. And um, an example would be when I found out I had a kid with Down syndrome, when I Googled things about people with Down syndrome online, it increased my anxiety and my sadness and my worry. Um, So I stopped doing it. Whereas some people getting a lot of information makes them feel equipped and empowered. And, you know, so I think you have to find what works for you and do that thing. It was not benefiting me and my pregnancy to feel more anxiety. And I thought every child is different. I'm going to learn as I go with this kid. Um, Also, I did with um, Miles found someone who had a child with Down syndrome and talk to them. And it was a very encouraging conversation. And again, I went into it, the knowledge of each kid is different. Miles' story might not be this story, but seeing a happy family with other kids, he was functioning and was really encouraging to me. So I had to find what worked for me. And that's what I would say is find what works for you because we're all different. But, you know, what do you need to go through the rest of your pregnancy or the rest of this journey with an infant with with some special needs or health challenges, you know, does it help you to talk to other people? Does it help you to research? Does it help you to get on blogs with people with the same condition? You know, there's all these resources out there, but finding the one that helps you is the best thing. Right. Right. For sure. Um, And I think too, you know, Charlotte, I think also helped you to be able to prepare for miles because Mm -hmm. even, you went to grief counseling mm-hmm. after Charlotte, and we've talked about before that often in counseling, you go, quote unquote, go for one reason, but all kinds of things often come out in mm-hmm. those counseling sessions. At least for me, you know, a lot of things came out in that of how I was processing my grief and how some of that came from how I processed things in my past and mm-hmm. the way that my family members, extended family members were processing things and how we dealt with things. And so there were other things. So I think even that you have gone to the counseling that you went through. I think that probably even because obviously in counseling, You have to figure a lot of the inward things out of how you do things, how you deal with things, how you process things. I think that probably even sets you up with um, being able to know you Mm -hmm. well, to know what works well for you. Right. To know what's going to work well for for Miles and I and how we do this and and how we do that. Um, You know, I've learned enough through the years that there's no wrong way to grieve. There's no Mm -hmm. right way to grieve the way that I grieved or you grieved may not be the way someone else, or there's no wrong way to face 
hard news Mm -hmm. the way I did versus someone else. Some, like you said, seek knowledge Mm -hmm. and that brings them peace. Mm -hmm. Some say, I can't know the knowledge. I got to just go one day at a time and see it. And that brings them peace. That's okay. As long as it's what's best for you. Right. No one really can tell you that. Right. You've got to figure that out either on your own or with help is is really, um, well, I want to say just have known y'all almost 11 years. Um, You and I, I don't think probably would have ever met if it Mm -hmm. wasn't for Forrest and Charlotte. And I hate that we did meet because that means that Forrest and Charlotte are not with us, but it also has been a joy to have met you and to know you and Timothy and to watch um, your marriage, um, to watch y'all fight for that marriage, fight through some terribly difficult things through the years to see the kind of parents y'all were to Charlotte, you are to Dax, you are to Miles, um, and even the ways that you've chosen to give back and help. You are always quick to help us at the Forest Spence Fund spread the word, tell your story, do a video for us, or get your work to get behind us and do drives or collections or choose us as a nonprofit. And so um, you are making a difference in the lives of others. And um, I'm thankful for you and Timothy and Miles and Dax and Precious Charlotte. Her life will forever leave an impact on everyone who know her and know her story. You are an incredible writer. God mm-hmm. gifted you with an incredible ability to write. And so each time that you share your heart and your story, and um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to read. I wish that God had given me the ability to write like he gave you. You know, God gives each of us different gifts. And um, that is your gift for sure, is being able to share your heart and be vulnerable with others. And so you are an encouragement to me, and I know you're an encouragement to many, many others. Is there anything else that you would like to share before we? Um, The one thing, and I've thought about this and I even wrote it down and put it on my desk at work and it, I I just wrote down the phrase, life can be altered in ways we never imagined and still be beautiful. And I would tell people that who are in just the thick of it, like, I know you didn't plan on or sign up for having a critically or chronically ill child and it's, it's harder than you can ever imagine, but it can still be beautiful and you can learn to find beauty in ways that you never would have. And like you just said, Brittany, we wouldn't have met each other if it wasn't for this very difficult circumstances in our lives. And there's so many people that I've met that have cared for both of my children that are just dear to me and meaningful in my life. And the, the ways that God has used the things that I've been through to, make me more compassionate and make me more empathetic and make me more like him. I'm just very thankful for, and um, we learn from all of our kids. Dax has taught me so much too, but um, life can still be beautiful and it doesn't feel like it when you're in the, in the fire, but eventually the fire is going to die down and you're going to see regrowth and you're going to see beautiful things. So just give yourself lots of grace and um, know that, that it will get better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, our testimony to that for sure. Well, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for sharing the story of 
Charlotte and Miles in Precious Stacks because mm-hmm. we know um, he also was such a, a joy for y'all to be mm-hmm. able to leave the hospital and go home to him yes. and see him be the typical two, three, and four-year-old boy that that he was. Um, mm-hmm. But y'all are dear to us and to the fund. And thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.